0: Would you please take the word of God and turn with me to the book of Exodus and uh, chapter 20 this evening. Exodus uh, chapter uh, 20. And we come now, uh, really everything has uh, led up uh, to this in chapter 19 as we've uh, read. They were instructed to prepare themselves, to sanctify themselves, to uh, cleanse themselves and to prepare because God was going to speak and they are brought to the foot of the mountain And uh, there is the lightning and the thunder and the darkness and the pillar of fire. And we saw all those things and we made a point to uh, show us that um, Mount Sinai was the place where there was a tempest and blackness and it shows us the holiness of God, how the mountain itself and what is illustrated for us shows that man cannot enter. He is not worthy to come into the presence of God and then we... Looked at that in the context of the Bible, that's why Jesus Christ is so important. Hebrews 12 tells us that you are not come to the mount that might be touched and that burn with fire and blackness and tempest, but you are come to Mount Zion. And that's where we are, and that's a, wonderful, that's a better mountain, isn't it? Uh, as we come here to chapter 20, we have what we refer to as the Ten Commandments. So this is a very famous chapter in all of the Bible And what I'm going to do here as we're going to look at this chapter, I'm going to deal with every single commandment in one message. So each command in one message, and I'm going to explain why I'm going to do that in this message as I'm going to give, in a sense, an introduction to the Ten Commandments. It is a very important passage for the following reasons that I'm going to give to us in this message this evening Uh, And so we're going to read, uh, by way of introduction, the first 21 verses of this chapter, and then we're going to break it down in the subsequent weeks, at least 11 weeks. Uh, But I think I'll explain why uh, it is important to do so. So let's stand together for the reading of God's Word, Exodus chapter 20. We're going to begin reading in verse 1 and work our way down to verse 21. Exodus 20, verse 1, and the Word of God says, And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain." For the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his, his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day the, uh, is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is and rested the seventh day, wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be prolonged upon the land, uh, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. And all the people saw the thunderings, and the lightnings, and the noise of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, They removed and stood afar off, and they said unto Moses, Speak thou with us, and we will hear, but let not God speak with us, lest we die. And Moses said unto the people, Fear not, for God has come to prove you, and that His fear may be before your faces, that ye sin not. And the people stood afar off, and Moses drew near unto the thick darkness, where God was. I want to bring your attention to verse 2. He says, uh, I am the Lord thy God. And I want to preach a message that I've entitled by verse 2, I am the Lord thy God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can read it. We thank you that we learn to live not by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord. And we are grateful that we do indeed have your words. Not only are they inspired, but they are preserved for us until this generation, and they will preserved, they will be preserved forever unto all generations. And so Lord, we rejoice in that, and Lord, as we come to this important chapter in the Bible, I pray that you'd help us to receive from it what we need, what might be beneficial for us, uh, that we might understand this chapter in the context of the Bible as a whole, and Lord, that ultimately we might come away from the study of this chapter uh, having received some practical help for our lives. And uh, we pray that we might be a holy people, that we might strive to be a holy people. And we ask for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As we look here at this uh, chapter, we see that there are ten commandments. Now I was uh, immediately started studying. I thought to myself, well, it doesn't say in this chapter, here are the ten commandments. But we refer to them as the ten commandments. And so I, I began to Study throughout the Bible and see if, if there is any reference to Ten Commandments. And there is indeed three references in the Old Testament to the Ten Commandments: Exodus 34:28, Deuteronomy 4:13, and Deuteronomy 10:4. And specifically, as we think about uh, the word of God as a whole, I'm glad that we have the words of God. And here is the complete word of God. We don't need anything else. And as we think about the revelation of God, and we have this in written form, we're grateful for that, but when we think about those Ten Commandments, these are not just written for us in the Word of God, these were written on tables of stone. Uh, Exodus later, in Exodus 34, 28, the Bible says, And he was there with the Lord forty days and forty nights, speaking of Moses in reference to this event. He did neither eat bread or drink water, and He wrote upon the tables the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. And so God, notice here, uh, we have the entirety of the Word of God, but those Ten Commandments were written on tables of stone. Deuteronomy 4.13, in reference to this, the Bible says, And He declared unto you His covenant, which He commanded you to perform, even Ten commandments, and he wrote them upon two tables of stone. Same thing in Deuteronomy chapter four, 10 and verse 4. And he wrote on the tables, according to the first writing, the Ten Commandments, which the Lord spake unto you in the Mount in the midst of the fire in the day of the assembly. And the Lord gave them unto you. And so no doubt God has given us His word. We have the fullness of God's revelation Uh, for us. We it's one Bible, it's one book, but we might break it down into the sixty-six books uh, of the Bible. And so when we look at that we know that this is special because it's not just something that is present in the Bible that we have. It is something that God wanted them to have as a memorial. Written in stone. Those Ten Commandments, therefore, have great significance. They ought to have great significance to anybody who might claim to be a people uh, that is associated with the God of heaven who wrote those Ten Commandments on the tables of stone. As we look at those Ten Commandments, I do want to make some preliminary observations about the commandments before we study each one of those commandments uh, individually. And I think it will be helpful for us to have a maybe a perspective. And I wrote some things down that might help us. At first, it was my introduction to the message. And since the introduction was really long, I thought, we'll just make that the message. And I'm sure that we're great, all grateful for that. But let me mention here a few things about the commandments. If you want to write those things down, these are the things that I want us to keep in mind before we come and study those individual commandments. And they are applicable to every one of the Ten Commandments that we find. The first thing that I want us to recognize as we even hope open chapter 20, the Bible says, and God, notice, spake all these words. The first thing we note about the Ten Commandments is that the commandments are words through which God has made himself known. Now that might seem trivial, okay, words through which God has made himself known, God specifically, these words wanted those words to be written in tables of stone. But it's not just words. And it's not just tables of stones. We have to recognize that these are the very words of the Almighty God. And just the fact that God has spoken and that God has made himself known ought to interest us. We ought to be interested. <laughs> Anytime the Bible says God has spoken these words, then we ought to perk up and pay attention. And furthermore, this is not just words that God has spoken, but words that God has spoken that He wanted to be written on tables of stone so that there might be some permanence about the words that God has spoken. We also know, based on the background of the manna that God gave to them just a few chapters earlier, we know that when we think about the manna in Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 3, the Bible says that he, he humbled the children of Israel, he suffered them to hunger, he fed them with manna that they didn't know what it was, neither did their fathers know what the manna was, and he did that so that he might teach them not to live by bread alone. But that they might learn to live by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. Now I want you to think about every word. Every word of God is important. Every word is given by inspiration of God. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be Perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Jesus Christ himself, in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4, during the hour of temptation, he reminded Satan of that truth. He says, uh, man, uh, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord. And so we ought to pause here when we just look at those words. And God spake these words This is a reference to those Ten Commandments. And so the commandments are words through which God has made Himself known. The Bible is certainly not, as a whole, is not everything that God knows. It is not an exhaustive um, compilation of everything that God knows. But it is everything that God wants us to know about Him. Despite what the critics said in the 1800s, people began to doubt the inspiration of the Word of God. They try to say that it is a man-made document, and they try to say something like this, that the Bible is the record of man's search for God. It is the exact opposite to that. The Bible is not man's record of his search for God. The Bible is God's record of his search for man. And how He has decided to make Himself known to man. And so here this is how God has made Himself known. And so understand when God gives His, it is His Ten Commandments. It is not the commandments of Moses. We know the law was given by Moses, but who spoke the commandments? It is God, not Moses. This does not come by authority of Moses. It comes by the authority of God. Moses is just the spokesman for God. The second thing we note about the Ten Commandments is that the commandments declare the supremacy and the authority of God. If you notice with me in verse 2, here is what he says. And by the way, we ought to have verse 2 in our minds as we study each one of the commandments. We ought to study each commandment with this in mind. I am the Lord thy God, which hath brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. I am the Lord thy God, which hath brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. And so before we think about every single commandment, before we mention every commandment, we ought to think, God says, I am the Lord thy God which brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Now think about those words, I am the Lord thy God. If you have the correct Bible this evening, the word Lord is all capitalized, L-O-R-D. That is the name Jehovah. God is not just Lord, He is not just God, but He is Jehovah. And the name Jehovah signifies that God is, He is self-sufficient, that, that God is eternal, that God is independent of His creation. He does not operate within His creation, but He operates outside of His creation. And that God, furthermore, is unchanging. There was a study that was done in the Hebrew language about Jehovah. Really, the word Jehovah is three part. The, the first part, Jeh, is He will be. Hov is He is. And Ah is He was. And so the idea here is that the full name means this, that He he that will be, He that is, and He that was. And so I want you to think about it this way. If our minds could reach to the limitless reaches of the future, the Lord says, I am He that will be. Should we think of the present moment we are standing in, the Lord says, I am He that is. And if our minds could carry us all the way back to the infinite recesses of the past, the Lord would say, I am He that was. Revelation 1.4 says, Grace be unto you and peace from Him which is, which was, and which is to come. Jehovah is the self-existent one. He is the supreme one. Notice here, before we read the commandments, God says, I am the Lord. I am Jehovah. I have supreme authority over creation. These words do not come from man. The Ten Commandments, by the way, which stand as the foundation for any civil society did not originate with Moses. They originated with God. This is The commandments of God. The commandments not only declare God's supremacy and authority, but also the commandments are based upon a relationship with God. If you notice what he says, he says, I am the Lord, but he doesn't stop at that. He says, Thy God. And so this this is Really, quite amazing words because we just talked about how the Lord, He is Jehovah, He is the self existent one, He is the supreme creator who has all authority. And He says, I am the Lord, and therefore I speak on the basis that I am the Lord, I am the Almighty. But then He says, Thy God. That's very personal. We might think of the Lord as He's very impersonable. How can we have any connection to the Almighty? We who are finite, how can there be any connection with the infinite? And yet God says, thy God, Lord thy God. The commandments are based upon a relationship with God. If you notice, furthermore, the commandments also were given to a people who were redeemed from bondage. Do you notice what he says in verse 2? I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Just a reminder, the children of Israel did not deliver themselves they did not conquer the Egyptians. As a matter of fact, they did not once at any moment raise a sword against the Egyptians. It was all the doing of God, and that's what God had announced to Moses back in chapter 2 and chapter 3, that God would deliver them, that God has come down. He has seen their affliction. He has heard their sorrow, and that He will deliver them, and now we stand here on the Mount Sinai, and Moses hears the commandments of God, and God reminds them, before I say anything to you, I want you to be reminded that what I'm saying to you is based on the fact that you are redeemed out of bondage. Well, I think here before we begin every commandment, we must be reminded. We must be reminded of this truth when the Lord says, hey, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Who is he talking to? To a people who've been redeemed from bondage. When he says, thou shalt." Not make unto thee any graven image. Well, who is he talking to? To people who've been redeemed from bondage. When he says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. He's talking to people who've been delivered from bondage. When he says, Remember the Sabbath day to to keep it holy. he's, He's talking to men who, People who have been redeemed from bondage. You see, God, when he... Speaks to men. If you notice the timing of him speaking to the children of Israel, he didn't say, and this is a fit picture, he didn't say, While they were in Egypt, so here's before you do it, before I'm going to deliver you, before I'm going to do anything for you, I'm going to establish some rules. And if you abide by those rules, then I will deliver you. That is not what happened. God has already redeemed them from bondage. Not based on anything they've done. Not based on any goodness in them. It was only by the blood of the innocent lamb that they were able, through the Passover, to be delivered from Egyptian bondage. And so here they're, all, they're at Mount Sinai, and God reminds them where they come from. He wants them to know that as He speaks to them, they are a redeemed people. They were in bondage, and now they are free to hear God speak to them. And so the commandments were given to a people who were redeemed from bondage. And and by the way, we might say that the commandments are... uh, the characteristics are rooted in the characteristics of God, that God is a holy God, and certainly they ought to be concerned that they ought to be a holy people. But that's not just for the Old Testament. It's also true for the New Testament in the sense that we also have been redeemed not from physical bondage, Egyptian bondage, but we have been redeemed from the bondage of sin and death. And because we've been redeemed from that... Romans chapter 12, t- 1 tells us this, uh, Therefore, brethren, uh, by the mer- I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He's saying all this based upon the mercies of God. You who know the mercies of God. By the way, he had said in Romans chapter 6, we have been set free from the bondage of sin and death. And so based upon the mercies of God, we ought to say, I want to live a holy life. You see, the commandments were given to a people who were redeemed from bondage. As we observe the commandments themselves, we also note here that the commandments address both the divine and human relationships. The commandments emphasize or address both the divine and human relationships. We might break it down by saying that a commandment one through four is uh, the commandments with regards to man's relationship with God, right? Um, Thou shall have no other gods before me. Thou shall not make unto thee any graven image. Thou shall not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And so the first commandments, the first four are... Godward commandments with man's relationship to God, but the last six commandments address man's relationships to his fellow man honor thy father and thy mother. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And so uh, there's a, if we break it down by two sections, we might say that there are the commands of man's relationship with God, and then the commandments for man's relationship with his fellow man. And so the commandments here address both the divine and the human relationship. And by the way, that sums up all our relationships. We all have a divine relationship and we have a we, human relationships. And so those commands are, ought to govern our human relationships and the first commands ought to govern our relationship with God. Uh, we also observe as we consider really what we look at the commandments and what we know based upon what the Word of God says about the commandments, even in the New Testament, is that the commandments here are only truly fulfilled by love. The commandments are only truly fulfilled by love. You say, all right, pastor, that is not in Exodus chapter 20. Where is that in the Bible? I'm glad you asked the question. Let me show you where it's in the Bible. Turn with me to, uh, by the way, let's begin in Deuteronomy chapter 6. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, now Deuteronomy chapter 6, Moses gives his final words before the, Children of Israel are entering into the promised land. He himself is not going to enter. But in Deuteronomy chapter 6, and notice verse 3, he says this, "...hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily, as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the the Lord our God is one Lord." And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. What did God want them to know before they went in? They need to love the Lord thy God, their God, with all their heart, with all their soul, and with all their might. Now let's go to the New Testament. And now turn to Matthew chapter 22. Jesus Christ is... Um, Making a reference here now. Certainly, there is a. Often, people had debates with Jesus Christ about about the law, about the commandments, about Moses, and they often did so. The lawyers and the Pharisees and the Sadducees they tried to trick Jesus Christ. Can't trick God. <laughs> uh, often, he um, knew what they were intending to do to him, and so often he answered with questions, and they were confused. And on several occasions, you find that they could, couldn't speak anymore. They just were confounded by the wisdom of Jesus Christ. Now, in Matthew chapter 22, notice with me if we go down to verse 34, and here's what the Bible says, Matthew 22:34. 34, But when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Now, you know they have their answer. And we know that they're trying to trick him, uh, tempting him. And here is the reply from Jesus Christ in verse 37. Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. Uh, That's a quote of Deuteronomy chapter 6. And here is what he says, this is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now, let me try to dispel at this moment some misconceptions about what Jesus Christ is teaching because we live in a Christianity today uh, that I would call um, that is under the spell of antinomianism. You say, what is that? Well, it's people that have this idea today that since we are Christians, we uh, don't, uh, we don't uh, abide by any rules or by any law of God. We just live as we please because all that matters, after all, is that we love God. That's all that matters. All that matters is love. Now, do you notice what Jesus said, though? He said this in verse 40. On these two commandments, what's the next word? Hang, Hang All the law and the prophets, Jesus Christ did not say on these two commandments, love the Lord, love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments, the whole law is dismissed. No, he says on these two commandments, hang. You know what that means? The commandments are still there if they're hanging. They're hanging on, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and love thy neighbor as thyself. Well, guess what? That's the two sections of the commandments. The first four commandments are divine love the Lord thy God. They can be, they hang, they hang under the banner of love. And then you look at the last six commandments, they have to do with man's relationship to man, and they hang on this commandment love thy neighbor as thyself. So, by the way, the commandments are still hanging there. They haven't been dismissed. They haven't been discounted. They haven't said, okay, well, don't worry about those commandments. Throw them away. Jesus Christ didn't come to destroy the law. He came to establish the law. Now, I say this because today we just we live in a loosey-goosey feeling Christianity where live as you please, do what you want, Whatever you, whatever you do, God will be happy with you because He loves you. Antinomianism. Big word, but that's what that is. You see, the commandments are only truly fulfilled by love. That is what Jesus Christ is teaching. Now, let me show you here. We might look at the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 6. We might look at the teaching of Jesus Christ. Let's look at the teaching of the Apostle Paul. Turn with me to Romans chapter 13, and we'll end my point here that could be prolonged, but I'll end it here with Romans chapter 13. Notice Romans 13. I'm ending not the message, the point. All right, just, all right. For some of you that were excited here that this was it. Uh, Romans 13, notice verse eight. Here is, is what the Apostle Paul says. He says, O oh, no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath... What's the word? Fulfill Fulfill the law. Love doesn't dismiss the law. The law, love doesn't say, well, now we can have other gods. Oh, now we can blaspheme the name of God. Oh, now we can commit adultery because after all, we're not under the law anymore. All that matters is that we love each other. No, love fulfills the law. Now, notice what he says. He brings up then the law in verse 9. For this Thou shalt not commit adultery. Oh, that's the law, isn't it? Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying namely, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And here's what he says in verse 10. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Here's what he says twice love doesn't dismiss the law, it doesn't erase the law, it fulfills the law. So when we think about the Ten Commandments here, when we read in Romans chapter not we're under grace, we're not under the law, it doesn't mean we erase the law and we don't live by the law. That's not what it means. We live by love, the standard of love, which it is on those two commandments that the entirety of the law hangs. It is only truly fulfilled by love. Now here's the difference because there are people who are religious who are seeking to live by the law in order to attain righteousness. That is not, I'll talk, my last one will be that's not how righteousness is attained. You see, but the law is fulfilled, truly fulfilled, by love. I think it's important for us to see that as we think about um, the Ten Commandments in their context. Let's move to the next point here. And that is this. When we go back to uh, Exodus chapter 20 and we think about those Ten Commandments, these commandments, although literal, must also include a broader, deeper, complete application. Let me, let me say that again. These commandments, although literal, and what I mean by literal is we are supposed to literally not do those things. Literally, you ought not to kill. Literally, you ought not to commit adultery. Literally, you ought not to steal. Literally, you ought not to bear false witness. Literally, you ought not to covet. Literally, you ought to have no other gods before Him. You should not take the name of the Lord. That, that's, these are literal, and we might call that the letter of the law. And certainly, there's the application to where we ought not to do those things. Or in the case of the positive, honor thy father and thy mother, we ought to do that thing. Now, these commandments, although literal, must include a broader, deeper, more complete application. Because here, this is not, although it is sufficient in itself, it's full, it's final, it's authority of God. God did not mean these Ten Commandments... Just to be taken literally. In other words, under each one of those Ten Commandments, you could hang a family of sins under each one of those commandments. We say, well, how did you come up with that? I didn't come up with it. I say that based on the authority of what Jesus said Himself. Jesus, when He came along, one of the things that He tried to do is He tried to correct to help people see their need of Jesus Christ, he tried to correct the interpretation of the law. And here's what the Pharisees and the Sadducees had arrived at. They had arrived in convincing the people that as long as they did not commit the act of adultery, that they were not adulterers. As long as they hadn't committed the act of murder, that they weren't murderers at heart, and therefore they were not sinners, and therefore they did not need the Messiah. And Jesus came along and he said this, Ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Now that's true in the literal sense in the Literal, you should not commit the act of adultery, but it doesn't stop at that. Jesus, but I say unto you, here is the full, complete, broader application. He says, if you lost after a woman in your heart, you've committed adultery in your heart already. And so, Jesus Christ, in a sense, he did not dismiss the law, he elevated the law. He wanted everybody to, to recognize that they were guilty of breaking the law of God because they sought to justify themselves by saying, Well, I haven't committed the act. And Jesus says, oh, it's not just the act. It's not just the letter of the law. What about the spirit of the law? You see, under each one of those Ten Commandments, there is a spirit behind each one of those commandments. So the commandments, although literal, must include a broader, deeper, complete application. When I'm going to go through each one of those commandments, we're gonna, I'm going to give you a family of sins that fall under each one of those commandments. And we're going to find that we cannot stop at the letter of the law. By the way, that's where the Pharisees stopped, at the letter of the law. We must go to the spirit of the law, and we must dig into the spirit of the law. What is this about? Well, in the the fact of adultery, Jesus said it's about lust, broadly. More completely, it's it's about lust. Uh, By the way, it is lust that drives a man to adultery. And so, it's not just adultery that has to be dealt with. You have to go back to the source. What's the source? Lust. In the conversation of Matthew 5, remember, the context was about getting a bill of divorce. And basically during that time, the Pharisees were saying, well, you can divorce your wife for any reason. And so if your wife didn't cook well one day, you say, okay, well, I'll divorce you and I'll go find somebody else. And they were doing that to consume it on their own lust. So here's what they would do. And the Pharisees tried to justify them. And so they would find, they would look at a woman that was beautiful and they thought to themselves, well, I wish she was my wife. So I'm going to write just a bill of divorce for my wife so that I can be, I'm going to do things by the law of Moses. I'm going to operate under the obligations of the law and give my wife a bill of divorce so that I can be married legally to that other woman. And Jesus says, you're an adulterer. You're an adulterer. Because somehow you're working you're actually using the law. That's what, by the way, Paul said in Romans chapter 7 we're setting the motions of sins which were by the law did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. That's how sinful human beings are. We use the law to our advantage. Oh, let's find out how we can fulfill our lust and use the law to make it all look good and righteous. And so Jesus Christ, he dispelled all that. So I think it's important for us, by the way, when Jesus Christ elevates the law, that is still God's holy standard. And let me encourage us as Christians, as we go through this list, let me just focus on the one that I just mentioned, lust. Let's not be satisfied as Christians because we have not committed the act of adultery. We must go deeper than that. We must go back to the root and say, God, may there never be lust in my life and if there is god would you by your spirit convict me of that so that i don't get there and do the act that's where what we ought to be concerned that's the spirit of the law and so the importance of going through each one of those commandments in its completeness and its broadest sense it will be helpful for us to make application so that we don't find ourselves in the letter part so these commandments, although literal, must be uh, must also include a broader, deeper, complete application. The next thing we learn from those commandments is that these commandments, although primarily negative, also communicate a positive, or communicate positive virtues. Now, what I mean by that is when we look to the Ten Commandments, it's it, it comes across as negative. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Um, we might see, um, uh, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. Now, no doubt, honor thy father and thy mother, that's, that's a positive but most of those commandments are negative. But I want you to see, as we look at those commandments, and no doubt we're going to look at the, the broader application, not just the, the letter of the law, but I also want us to take the next step and see what are the actual opposite positive virtues. Because there are positive virtues for each one of those commandments that are negative. Let me give you just one example. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, the Bible says this, let your conversation be without covetousness. So that's the negative, right? Thou shalt not covet. So let your conversation be without covetousness. But then the Bible says, and be content with such things as ye have." So the negative is, thou shalt not covet, but there's a positive virtue and the opposite of that is what? Contentment. So when we read about the Ten Commandments, there is the negative aspect, but there is also a positive virtue or virtues that stand on the other side. And the Christian life, it's very important, the Christian life is not a negative life. It is in the sense that there are things that we ought not to do. But that's not all the Christian life is. The Christian life is also positive. And we have to learn to develop the positive virtue. Christian living is not resistance. It's living in the power of the Spirit to do something positive. That's Christian living. And if all we do is resist, by the way, that's where many people have trouble with getting victory over sin because all they do is they resist and they never develop the positive virtues that are necessary to overcome the negative. So these commandments, although primary negative, also communicate a positive virtue. Let me give you one more. And that is this. These commandments, although righteous, because they come from God, cannot impart righteousness nor take away sin. Now, it is absolutely necessary for me to say that. That these commandments, although righteous in and of themselves, cannot impart righteousness nor take away sins. They cannot. Now, Romans 3.30 tells us, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. You see, the the law gives us a knowledge of sin and of righteousness, but by the knowledge of the law, we cannot find justification. Why? Because our performance of a righteous act has no capacity to erase sin. It does not have the capacity to do that. Romans 3.28 says this, Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Here's the conclusion, and I got this from a pastor who wrote this. I thought it was good. I don't think I could say it any better, so let me read what he said. It should be made clear that we depend on Christ alone for all of our blessing throughout life. Believers do not earn or secure their continuing blessing by obedience to the law, for all benefits come solely through the merits and the work of Christ. Our striving for holiness cannot earn anything, for we fall so short of God's righteousness. Nevertheless, God requires that we should willingly, gladly desire to walk by the moral law to please and honor Him. A small child may receive a reward for good behavior, perhaps an outing or a gift, but the child's efforts do not earn the money to pay for the reward. Similarly, God's rewards, God rewards the righteous But these rewards are entirely purchased by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are rewards of grace. Indifference to God's commandments, however, will forfeit much spiritual comfort, assurance, instrumentality, and answered prayers and may even bring the Lord's hand of discipline upon us. You see when we read about those Ten Commandments we are aware that none of those things make us righteous. The only thing that makes us righteous is Jesus Christ. That's the only thing. And so the merit that we have and the blessing that we receive from God is not based upon our performance. It's based on the grace of God the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, and the mediation of Jesus Christ. However, we understand that as Christians that we ought to have a desire because we have been set free from the bondage of sin and death, which is what sin produces, death, that we we don't want to live in sin. And so the rewards that we receive from God are not rewards that we earn, but often... We might forfeit, as he mentioned, because of our sin, the spiritual comforts that God intends for us to have. We might even uh, begin to lose assurances because of sin. Not our salvation, but our assurance. Uh, We might uh, not be used of God as Instruments in the hands of God because of, of sin or not walking in a, in a way that pleases the Lord, we might even by the way forfeit answered prayers by our lives. if I regard iniquity in me, the Lord will not hear me in writing to the husbands, if the husband has something against his wife, God will not answer his prayer. so the Bible tells us so what happens is this is not us as we look at the Ten Commandments say, alright, here's how we can learn earn favor with God. Here's how we can be accepted with God. Here's how we can become righteous. No. No. But also we don't believe the opposite which is antinomianism that says, oh, well now that I'm free now that I'm under grace then now I can live as I please and live in sin and God will be happy with me no you see we because of disobedience Hebrews 12 says that we may experience the chastening of the Lord but why does he chasten us he chastens us because He loves us. That's what the Bible says. It may not be pleasant, but the truth is, if if there's sin in our lives and, and God chastens us, that is a hand of love from God. So let me summarize this introduction to the Ten Commandments. These commandments are words through which God has made Himself known. The commandments declare God's supremacy and authority. The commandments are based upon a relationship with God. The commandments were given to a people who were redeemed from bondage. The commandments address both the divine and human relationships. The commandments are only true, truly fulfilled by love. These also, also these commandments, although literal, must also include a broader, deeper, com- more complete application. These commandments, although primary negative, also communicate a positive virtue. And these commandments, although, uh, uh, then these commandments, although righteous cannot impart righteousness nor take away sin. See, somebody may say, well, why do you go to church? Why do you live the way you do and uh, have the standards you have? And why why do you do those things? And my declaration is, is very, very easy. I'm not doing those things because I'm trying to earn favor with God. I'm doing those things because I already have favor with God and I don't deserve it. And because of what He's done for me, my only response is, I want to show my love and appreciation for Him. That is why I live the way I live. With faults and failures and sin, and when I do that, and I know that I've grieved the Holy Spirit of God, and I've sinned against God, I come back to God and I confess my sins because He is faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. That's a wonderful thing. (laughs) That's a wonderful thing. And so by the way, our performance our performance, does not earn more acceptance with God. Well, you're doing good. I like you more than the Christian over here because he's not doing too good. Our acceptance is the same. It is not any different. That's why we can't look. That's why the Bible says that we should not think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. We ought to think of ourselves soberly. And by the way, I think we, if we're all honest about it, we're all struggling. All struggling. But by the way, that is a good thing. We're all struggling to be more like Jesus Christ. And if there's no struggle, then there's something missing. But it is a struggle nonetheless. Because we have been redeemed. That is our great desire, maybe our great desire, that we want to, the song we sing, the song, "Oh, to be like Thee. Oh, to be like thee. Blessed Redeemer, pure as thou art. Come in thy fullness. Come in thy sweetness. Stamp thine own image deep on my heart. That's where it begins. That's what the Lord wants. So that's the introduction to the commandments. And now we're going to go through every commandment with those truths in mind. Because what I want us to do is there are to be some adjustments in our lives. Let me, let me give you an example. We might say, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Oh, I, I don't do that. I don't curse the name of God. That's not what that commandment is about. Let me ask you this. you ever come in the auditorium and you ever sing and you speak the name of God and you don't even think about God and you have no regard for God? You can be in church and commit that sin by speaking His name without ever having any regard for Him. That's taking His name in vain. See, I'm interested in the spirit of the law because as Christians, that's what we ought to be interested in. We don't live by the letter of the law. We live by the spirit of the law. And so may the Lord help us to prepare our hearts and say, Lord, would you, would you teach me because I, I want to live by the spirit of the law, not just by the letter of the law.